our scripture that can be found on the inside of the bulletin. That's Luke 12, 13 through 21. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The word of the Lord. Well, as I was searching through the internet for wonderful content to bring to you today, uh, I came across People Magazine's most intriguing people of 2015. Uh, I was much chagrined to discover that I again was left out of the most intriguing people. So, uh, uh, very frustrated with that. After sending them an email, I proceeded to look through the list of folks. And there were some of the classic people that you thought would be on it. Uh, there was Jennifer Lawrence, who was titled the Femme Fatale. That's what they called her. They, they had a little tagline for everyone. I, I would have liked uh, Carlos Rodriguez, Mad Preacher, or something like that. But of course, I was left out. Uh, I'm not bitter, I'm better over that. Um, Sandra Bullock, the natural beauty. Um, Caitlyn Jenner and her family. I don't even remember, how, how does one even describe? How can put in, in one pithy saying uh, that uh, gaggle of people? But there was one that I found very interesting, George and Charlotte, royal darlings. These of course are the children of the royal family George being about three years old and Charlotte being about 11 months old. And I thought to myself, how can these two be on the most intriguing people, right? Charlotte, did she have the peas or did she have the squash? I don't know, you know. She went jet-setting in her jumper. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why they made the cut of the most intriguing people of 2015. You know, but as I was thinking of that, uh, the question came to me. The question being, and it's something I've been thinking about for a while, are you a successful person? A person worthy of note, a person worthy of merit. Are you a successful person? If I was to ask you that question, and you were to reflect upon it, I think we'd get a variety of different answers. Some of you would say, yes, I, I do believe, based on looking at my life and what I've accomplished, yes, I'm a successful person. Others of you would say, no. If I'm honest and I look, a look, and I look at my life, I would have to say, no, I'm, I'm not a successful person. And probably there's a lot of us that would fall somewhere in the middle. There's some success, there's some failure where I'm just sort of average person 
kind of successful. You know, the story is about a person who the world would say, by the world's standards, is extremely successful. A person who seemed to have it made. A person whose ship seems to have come, come in. A person who had a perspective of enjoying life. If we were to see this person walking down the road, we might whisper to one another, do you know what this person sold their company for? Do you know where they live? Do you know what they have? And yet, as we see how God labels this person, he doesn't label them as successful. He simply labels them with two words. You fool. If you look at the Greek for that, it's literally you who don't think. You who don't have a brain, so to speak. You are stupid as regards the ways of the world. What the world says of you being successful is the exact opposite of what God is calling this person. And so we have to scratch our head for a bit and ask the question, what does it really mean to be successful? Because ultimately, there's, two on, there's only two destinies, two labels that God will give a person when it's all said and done. Either fool or child of God. So how can we make sure in this short life that we live that we have right success, that we are successful in the eyes of God? So we're going to look at this passage together, and we're going to break it down. I really, as I look at this passage, I think we need to understand only three things to live a successful life. Number one, we have to understand why Jesus came. What's the purpose of why Jesus came and how he is to interact with my life? Number two, in light of how Jesus came, how should we live? Living in such a way that grants success in the eyes of the world? No, living in a way that shows success in the eyes of God. How should we live? And then finally, the third question, how should we die? For ultimately, there will be a day when our life is required of us and when the judgment scale comes out. Because in the end, there are only two destinies, fool or child of God. So choose your destiny today. Well, let's look at this first point, why Jesus came. We've been preaching through Luke, and in the last couple sermons, Jesus has been speaking about the kingdom of God. He's been saying that everything that's secret will ultimately come out. Everything that's hidden will be disclosed. And so to make sure to fear God, because God is the one who has the power not only to kill, but to throw both soul and body into hell. He's been talking about the fact that he is the son of man. He's been talking about kingdom things. He's been talking about the, the bigger reality of the world. And when Jesus pauses and takes a second, this man blurts out. It's almost, you, if you're there and you're seeing it, this man just out of nowhere. It's like he's had it in his heart. He's been waiting for that pause so he can say something. And he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You think to yourself, what, what does that have to do with anything that Jesus has been speaking? Jesus has been speaking of kingdom things, and this man speaks about this. Apparently, he has some sort of you know, lawsuit in his pocket. He's going, and he's ready to serve his brother with a lawsuit because of inheritance issues. 
And so he appeals to Jesus to solve this problem. It shows that this man, amidst listening to Jesus, has a wrong attitude and focus. He's totally focused on the things of this world. What's going on right here and now? The inheritance issues between him and his brother. He hasn't listened to a thing that Jesus has said. And so he responds to Jesus because Jesus obviously is powerful. He says, tell my brother to split our inheritance. And verse 14, Jesus gives a response that on the surface doesn't make any sense. Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now, Jesus has just been talking about the fact that he does have the authority to judge, right? He's the son of man. He's the king. He's the one who makes a right judgment. So how is it that Jesus turns to him and says, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? I don't love the way that the ESV translated this word arbitrator. Another way to translate it would be divider. Who made me judge or divider over you? And the reason I'd rather use the word divider is because in this very chapter later, Jesus uses this exact word again. Verse 51, do you think that I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, one in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three, and they will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, and so on and so on and so on. See, Jesus did come to divide. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, but division. But he says to this man, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? You see, the point is that this man is missing what Jesus has come to divide. This man thinks that Jesus is coming to solve his problems, if you will, to improve his life. But Jesus is coming not to improve our lives, but to give us life, to separate life from death, not a better death. You know, this man is basically saying, help me straighten the deck chairs on my Titanic. And Jesus is saying, you don't understand, man. The Titanic is going down. I've come to bring life. I haven't come to fix your earthly problems in the way that you think. You're missing the point. You're dealing simply with the things of this world. I'm here for more than that. The truth of the matter, though, is for many of us, this is the reason why we do come to Jesus. We say to Jesus, I will follow you. If the statistics are correct in terms of people giving their life to Christ and then living a Christian life or falling away from Christ, there are plenty of people who have prayed a sinner's prayer. There are plenty of people who have walked an aisle. There are plenty of people who have given their life to Jesus. But there is this sort of bargain, implicit bargain in our hearts. Lord, of course I will follow you. I will give you my life. By the way, I want you to get me out of this financial difficulty. By the way, I am going to follow you. Could you make me popular in my middle school? 
By the way, could you give me a better marriage? By the way, could you give me better peace? See, the reality is for many of us, we want him to divide our inheritance here. But Jesus did not come to improve your and my life. He came to give us life. And so Jesus responds. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. The, the NIV puts it better. He says, watch out. Watch out. You're missing what I'm saying. I'm right in front of you. And you're not hearing what I'm saying. Watch out and take care. For one's life does not con- consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in what he has here. Whether it's a material possession, our wealth, or whether it's an immaterial possession, our reputation, our popularity, our beauty, our power, you name it. The world is focused on the right here and right now. And so is this man. But we must not fall prey. For Jesus came for so much more than simply straightening the deck chairs on the Titanic. I don't know if you ever end up on the internet surfing around, but there's a myriad of things that you can go to. And I'm kind of a gadgets guy, you know? There are some really neat gadget sites out there. And there's some really neat exotic type products that you can find on them, such as this six million man-made floating island. Do you ever crave the seclusion of your own private island? says Orsos Island Company. They have created a man-made floating island, six bedrooms, spread over about the size of four tennis courts that basically can float anywhere in the world attached to your mega yacht. You gotta pick one of those up too. You can buy that on the site as well, a mega yacht. It's got everything. It's got a desalinization plant using reverse osmosis. Isn't this exciting? So you can live a perfect, contented life anywhere in the world. Your own private island. I think you can get it on Amazon with the Prime. If you hit the Prime in like two days, it shows up. In Virginia Beach, it's very easy to get. There's no shortage to things that our eyes desire that we can find on the internet that can be created and built. And if you have the means, you can pick up. But the reality is that if our life is focused on our possessions, if our religion is simply about having a better life, in the end, the epitaph on our tombstone will simply read two words, you fool. And so we, too, must look for the right things from Christ. Why do you follow him? I follow him because he makes me happy, or he promises he will. I follow him because I believe he can make me healthy. But when Jesus doesn't come through for us, we're angry. When he doesn't divide the inheritance properly. Is, are we perhaps settling for a different Jesus? than the one who has came to give us life? Have we perhaps confused the gift and the giver? We must not make the mistake of this man. We must not settle for less than life. 
So we must live for another, not for ourselves, but for the one who made us, for the one who redeemed us. We must live for his ways. We must live for his plan. We must live for him as our life. Because in the end, there are only two destinies, child of God or fool. Choose your destiny. Well, Jesus gives this parable because he wants to illustrate the fallacy of this man's thinking. This brings me uh, to my second point. If the first is why Jesus came, how shall we live? He tells this parable, verse 16, and he told them a parable, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Well, what do we know about this man? The first is, he's already a rich man. Okay, this crop did not make him rich. He was already rich. And indeed, he was a landover. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. So he's either one of those people who is a landowner and he has other people farming, or he's very, very good at his job, or he's very, very lucky. You ever notice people that some people, it just works out for them, right? You got one of these friends? I see a lot of people who are saying, yeah. I went to school with that guy. He's an idiot. And yet his ship has come in. How is that possible? And he is clueless, and yet it, everything just seems to hit again and again and again. I think that might be this guy. I'm not exactly sure, but he is very well off. And once again, his ship comes in. The land produced plentifully. Now, here's the point of this. This isn't simply he had a good crop, a good harvest. This is he had the harvest. He's ready to stop production. He's ready to retire, if you will, at age 47. This is ridiculous, this guy, right? This is so over the top. And he says, what shall I do? I don't have any place to store my crops. Okay, now, it's not like these crops just came out of nowhere, right? Like, was he planning for this? You know, a harvest sort of goes? No, this is so beyond his expectation, he didn't even plan for this. It simply came. It just went right. It was an act of God. You ever have that in your insurance policy, you know? We're going to cover everything except this because it's an act of God. There are good act of, acts of God too, aren't there? Well, that's what happened. And so he sees this unbelievable harvest and he asks himself a question. What shall I do with all this? Where am I going to put all of it? He doesn't ask himself a question though does he maybe the question he should have asked which he didn't was where is God in all of this what's going on here you know what if your ship came in what if you became the lucky one or all of your hard work paid off you deserved it so to speak what if your ship came in you know we're revealed who we are I think more in success than in failure. Life is a test, my friends. And God is testing this person to see what's inside of their heart. And this success reveals this person's heart. He comes up with an answer and he said, I will do this. 
I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, do you notice something about his solution? There's a whole lot of I and me in it. I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will store all my grain, my grain, my goods, my soul. It's all about him. It's all about his life. He has everything that the world wants. He has pleasure. He has leisure. And yet God is nowhere in his equation. Eternity is nowhere in his equation. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, I find this very interesting. He says, I'm set for many years. But he never stops to think about the question, how many years do I have left to be set for? We don't often think about that question either, do we? And so you see this man with the wheels turning in his head, making plans. I've always wanted a little condo in the Caymans, you know? Where are we going to go on vacation this summer? Perhaps Europe, perhaps Spain. He's thinking about how to live this wonderful life, utterly oblivious to the train wreck that's about to occur. It is like a train wreck, isn't it? I mean, we know what's going to happen, yet we can't look away as this man's notion of what life is and life is about to hit him square in the jaw. See, he's made a crucial error. It was Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, who said there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true, and the other is to refuse to believe what is true. See, this man has had all of the signs. This blessing that has come upon me is not of my own doing. This blessing is from God. We have all the signs that life is temporary. It can come to a grinding halt the minute we walk out of this building, maybe while we're still in this building. Perhaps my preaching is so toxic that it can kill you in the pew even right now. The signs that our life is not our own, that it's a blessing from God, that I don't even control the breathing, my heart rate, the function of my life but to refuse to believe that which is true, to have the illusion that it's my world, my life, and I can do with it what I want. We celebrated my oldest son's birthday yesterday. For some of you that don't know, my son is past my oldest son. I have two other sons and a daughter. He's gone on to be with the Lord. He would have been 19 yesterday. As I thought about my son's life, and he would have been in college. I thought to myself as I was thinking about this sermon, you know, Mark really got this. You know, wouldn't it be horrible, like this man, to get to the end of your life at 47 and to have not thought about what life was about at all? To have invested your life in things that were temporary, 
that were temporal, that had no meaning whatsoever. Do you know what a failure is? A failure is someone who is successful in everything that does not matter. Mark was not that way. He understood what life was about, worshiping and loving God and being about building his kingdom on earth and taking care of the most precious thing that there is on earth, which is the human person. How should we live in light of how Jesus came? We should live loving God and loving man, seeking first his kingdom. See, if life is a test, my friends, life is also a trust. God has entrusted to you life, your life. You're alive, you're here. You're healthy, at least healthy enough to get here. It's a gift. You have a church. You have people who love you. You have relationships. You have wealth. Do you know that the bottom 5% of this country is richer than 70% of the world? The bottom 5%. We are rich, even if you don't think you are. We must live in light of the blessing of God. We must live in light of God. Unlike this man, thanking him for what he's given you. The simple things. Praising him, for he is king. Worshiping him, for he is the Lord. In the good things, in the bad things, in church and when I'm alone. We must live in light of eternity. Because this is not everything. Don't be too satisfied or too disappointed with this world. Because this is a shadow of things that are to come. We must treat success and failure as what they are. Imposters. In the end, there are only two destinies. Fool or child of God. Let's live in light of eternity. This brings me to my final point, how we should die. As the man thinks of his condo in the Caymans, as he has gotten off the internet, purchasing his own private island, God says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I'm struck by those words, this night. This night, your soul is required of you. I don't know if you've ever played that game. If you only had 24 hours to live, how would you live them differently? It's not a game, is it? It's reality. It's a gift. We can live in light of eternity even when we don't know where it's going to end because we do know it is going to end. This night, your soul is required of you. This fool did not think his soul belonged to anyone. But there is a requiring, isn't there? There is an accounting. I don't belong simply to myself. I'm not my own. 
Every moment counts, and I am accountable for every moment. The way that I live, the way that I love, the decisions that I make will be weighed in light of eternity. Your soul is required of you tonight. And these things which you have prepared, these dreams, all that you have amassed, whose will they be? Clear, this man wasn't thinking. There is a godly way of thinking in terms of leaving things on to your family. I'm not talking about that. He was focused on this time, now, what's in it for me? And in the end, it's all chaff. It's all dust. Think of all the stuff that's in our attic right now, which we thought about and obsessed about. Whose will they be? When we put our hopes and our obsession and our loves in the things of this world, we are sure to be disappointed. But when they're for God, when we live in light of dying, we can think of this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Not the work of the Lord just preaching a sermon or doing religious things, but living for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It's all going to last. That which is done for the king. And so how we should die was with open hands, being rich toward God, continually giving over our assets, our wealth, our hopes, our dreams to him, saying, you're worth it. You are my life, and therefore to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We should be ready to go at a moment's notice. For at some point, your life will be required of you. For some of you who have more gray hair than myself, I see people smiling and knowing. They've taken stock, if you will, of their life. But you young ones, what if you started living now in light of eternity? Already almost as a dead person. There's no U-Haul behind my hearse. You know, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Well, life is a test. Life is a trust. And life is a temporary assignment. Are you a Christian? If you are, you're already a child of God. You already have an inheritance. You already have an eternity. Live for Him. Enjoy the blessings. Enjoy the challenges. Remember that your life is a test of trust and a temporary assignment. If you're not a Christian, your life may be required of you tonight. What will you say to God? What will God say to you? In the end, there are only two destinies, child of God or fool. So choose your destiny. Christ came that you might have life 
and have it to, to the full. And he is the bread of life. And whoever eats of him will never die. And even though he dies, he will live forever. That is true wisdom. That is true success. Let's pray. Lord, help us not to be like this man, so oblivious to the things of the kingdom. Lord, give us ears that hear. Give us an understanding of who you are and why you came. You came to divide death and life and to give life to us. Lord, help us not to settle for anything less than you. Help us to live in light of you as our king, in light of the kingdom of God and the reality of the world. And help us to be ready to die, our bag packed at a moment's notice, having sent everything on ahead. Lord, for you are worthy. And you are the one who makes us successful. Only in your eyes, which is the only thing that really matters in the end. We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.